Well, take your Bibles if you have them, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And let me just say once again, y'all are here. Y'all just don't know, man. Um, like I said, other places that I've lived, if there's just been the forecast of, of a flurry, people literally bolt the doors. But y'all came, some of y'all, that's awesome. Um, when I was in Texas going to school, I had a friend from Hawaii, and every one time it got down around 40-ish, and he had came in inside, inside, where it's heated, and he had this on this huge snow jacket and these big gloves and this toboggan. I'm like, man, you, it's cold, bro, it's cold. And so, you know, he just couldn't handle uh, the cold at all. But man, it is, uh, it's good to see y'all today. What we're going to do, we're going to talk about a message, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30. Two, going all the way back to thirty or twenty-five, and the message, the subject, the sermon in the sentence is simply this: that the gospel changes everything. Amen. It changes everything. That means that when we come to the place to where Christ gets a hold of our life, we surrender to Him, we submit to Him, we turn away from our sin and ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life, and He does the work inside us. He changes us and makes us new. That means that everything becomes brand new. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, And He died for all, so that those who live might no longer, uh, speaking of us, might no longer live for themselves. Y'all with me? Ever been there? Might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. So, for those of us who have been saved today, not because we're good, but because God is awesome, we live for Him. And that makes all of the difference. Um, Oswald Chambers said this, this an incredible statement. No one is ever united with Jesus Christ until He is willing to relinquish not only sin, but His whole way of looking at things. And there, if you have your worship guide, we've got the outline of this passage, this Bible text on the back, and you can, if you would like, to, to take notes and follow along with us in our study this morning. But the, the theme here is that Christ changes our worldview. Now, what is our worldview? Our worldview is the way that we look at life. All right? You, you take a person who is, uh, for example, a Hindu, and a Hindu looks at someone who's suffering, they have a debilitating disease, and because of the Hindu worldview, they conclude that this disease was caused from past misdeeds, bad karma, from this person's past life, right? And that this person is not really someone deserving of mercy because it's their own fault, you see. Was a Christian, someone who believes that Christ is Lord, looks at a person who is sick and says, that's a person that I can express compassion to and hopefully win to Christ if they're not saved already. Our worldview, it's been said, is the lenses through which we see the world. Have you ever been maybe watching the news with a person and there's a political subject that comes up and this person over here has this opinion? about this thing that's happened. And then this person over here has a totally different opinion about the same issue. They have different worldviews. And Christ changes our worldview first there in verse 25 in the way that we think, our thinking pattern. Notice what the Bible says. Ephesians 4 verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood. If you're reading the King James Version, it translates that lying. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members one of another. 
So it's got an interesting phrase there, right? Having put away falsehood. Now this word falsehood, it's a noun and it's got the definite article. Now I know some of y'all mind you bad days of English class. Do we have any English class haters? Any in the group? Alright? You go back, definite article is the, right? So literally what's going on is the Bible is letting us know that when we come to Christ, when we get saved, or when we, some people call it getting religion, although we don't get this ladder that we start to climb to God, when you get saved, it's God coming down, right? And changing us. But literally, the way this is reading is therefore having put away the falsehood or the lie. That's kind of a strange thing, right? The picture here is taking off a garment or stopping a behavior and adopting something else. Uh, the lie would be, remember in Ephesus, it was a pretty rough place. You guys remember in our study? Some of the things that were going on in Ephesus, they had gladiator fights, right? This is not ground and pound. This is not stand-up fighting. This is not stick fighting. This is not a screamer. This is not Thailand. When the guy went down, you killed him. People were there. Yes. Wanting more blood. Some of the other things were pagan religion, which was, you went to the temple... And you engaged in orgies. That's what it was. Also, this was a place to where they, people actually would worship demonic spirits and cast spells. It was a very dark area. It was a place that was captured by the lie of Satan. It was a place that was totally opposed to Christ. So when he's talking to people, he's talking to the non-church crowd. Remember last week, those of you who were here? This is not your, your, your classic Sunday school choir boy group. This is a rough group of people from Ephesus. So he's saying, look guys, now that you guys have been saved and you've put off the lie, don't lie to each other anymore. If you have your Bibles and you want to do this, turn over to Romans chapter 1 and verse 24 and 25. This is the exact same phrasing virtually that Paul uses when he talks about groups of people, nations who have turned away from God. It says in Romans chapter 1 verse 24, Therefore God gave them up, he gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And here it is, verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And here it is. And worshipped and served the creature or the creation rather than the creator. So literally what the Bible is talking about here is there. If a group of people exchanges the knowledge of God, it's like, Jeff, man, what is the knowledge of God? Well, Romans chapter 1 teaches that you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that when you look out on nature and look at each other, that there is an intelligent designer. Can I get a witness? It, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you've got to have a PhD in philosophy or science or anything like that to look out and say, now all of the millions of facts lead me to conclude it's kind of like, Sunset, my mind, some of us, it doesn't work very well, alright? And I can see that, and I can see that there's a design in nature. I can see that even the human body, when it gets cut, it does what after a while? Heals itself. And, and we, can, we, we look at trees, and, and if you take this little, little thing that's like a dark shape, and it looks like a tear, and if you kind of scratch away some mud and put it down on the ground and put the mud on top, and if you let water come there, it, 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 it explodes, doesn't it? And you, if you get, take an apple seed, you get apples, and you look at all of the, the design in nature, 
And that's why it says in the book of Proverbs that the fool is set in his heart. What? Help me out. There is no God. Before I came to Rocky Mountain, that was one of my jobs. I taught um, philosophy for college. And man, there was this one guy in my class, and, and he was an atheist. There are actually a number of them. But he would carry around in his backpack the book, uh, The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. Grandparents, if you don't know what that book is, get informed because your students and your grandchildren are being exposed to that stuff all the time. And we would talk about these issues in, in dialogue and debate. But it's a properly basic belief, meaning that it's normal to believe in God, right? Some of you remember back in college or high school when you read about Karl Marx and he said that if you believed in God, you had a mental disease. <laughs> right? That if you believe that looking out for example, if you look at a picture to say that picture came about by itself billions of years ago without any cause. I am smart. No, you're dumb. If you look at anything that has like this building, what evidence is that this building actually had a builder? Well, the building itself, right? Evidence in creation shows us that God is real, but not only that he's real, but that he's good. Like, think back when you were a little kid and, and you did something that you shouldn't have. Remember that feeling of guilt? And sometimes sociologists tell us that guilt is something that society has put on us. And in some sense, that's true. But in every society around the world, even though people may do things like rape and murder, um, there are certain tribes in South America that missionaries went in in the 1950s, and this was their theology. I have a friend who's been there many times. This was like what they believed, these tribes. That the more people you spear and kill, the better your life is going to be when you get reincarnated. Now just let that sink in for a minute. If you actually believe that the way that you, I don't know, earn heaven, something like that, is the more people you kill, what do you think society is going to be like? be messed up. A missionary went there and they were actually killed by these Indians. The missionaries could have blown them away. They did have guns. But they didn't. And the missionary's wife, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth Elliott, she went back to the same people that killed her husband. Somebody like, that woman's crazy. Call in the special forces, men kill them all. But she went back and she's like, even though you killed my husband, they're like, the white, what is this, what is the white woman coming doing here? She said, even though you killed my husband, I still want to tell you about the love of Christ. And today, most of those people in that tribe are Christians. And the president of the seminary that I went to was at a conference and he actually, one of the original guys who killed these, who killed these missionaries, Nate Sane and Jim Elliott, Spear, killed them. Later he got saved and he was at this conference in the U.S. And he said, even though our culture, for as long as we could remember, taught that killing people is okay. Now we're not talking about defense and war. We're talking about just murder, right? Like straight up murder. He said, we knew down in our hearts that it was still wrong. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 that the people who don't even have the Bible, who've never even heard of Jesus Christ, know deep down in their heart that certain things are wrong. So the Bible teaches that we know that God is real and that God is holy, that He's love, that He wants us to love one another and that abusing one another is not what God wants. So when the Bible says here in verse 25, having put away the falsehood, it means putting away everything that is contrary to God and worshiping what God has given instead of who God is. 
I love Ray Comfort. He tells about when he, his kids were small and he bought them a TV. Any of y'all remember the transition? That was after my time. Some of y'all actually remember that, like when the TV was invented, right? Like this huge, it was like, man, this is an amazing thing that you can look at this, you can hear and see at the same time. And he bought it for his kids. And before that time, he would come home and his kids would all gather around him and go, Dad, you're... Some of y'all remember that? Like when your kids are real little, they're like, Dad, yeah, Dad's home. And, and then once he bought the TV, he came home and said, Hey, I'm home and no greeting party. He went in and guess where they were? <laughs> Gathered around the tube, you know, watching cartoons. And then he said, he said, I went in and I shut off the TV. And he said, if my gift to you is going to get in the way of my relationship with you, the gift has to go. And so often in our lives, sometimes we worship. We are so excited about what God has given us instead of who God is. It says in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 15, the last half, For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Also in Isaiah chapter 44, it speaks of those who have worshipped idols. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? In the Bible, it's an interesting dynamic because you have a group of people who God has shown Himself to and they're following and worshiping God. And then there's the tendency for people to worship what God has given. In the book of Jeremiah, you've got a group of people and they make idols. And some of you may have seen that on the History Channel or you've been to another country and you've seen people actually bowing down and worshiping idols. Book of Jeremiah basically says it doesn't make any sense to go out and chop down a tree to use some of it to cook your food and the other parts you begin to work a carpentry and then you begin to fall down at that. What power does a dead tree have to save anybody? Nothing. But God does. Amen, church? It says in Amos chapter 2, verse 4, that their lies have led them astray. It even says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, that God will send a strong delusion upon those in the end times who reject the knowledge of God. And as I've said many times before, I was not a true believer in Christ. I did not get saved until I was 19. There were many times when I heard the gospel preached and I felt that sense of guilt. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, a sense of guilt, like, man, I need God in my life. I need to be saved. I need to give what I am and who I am to Jesus. But I didn't want to do it because of pride. There's going to be a day to where when the tribulation comes, the Bible teaches that God will literally give people what they've been pursuing their whole life. And that is a false reality. Like, man, Jeff, what about me today? What am I supposed to do? Receive Christ. If you've been saved, begin to live for Him. And the lie goes all the way back to Genesis chapter, uh, the beginnings, right? Remember Genesis chapter 3? Right? Adam and Eve are in the garden. Ladies, she's got no competition. She's the only woman there. Guys, this is the first woman ever created. Perfect atmosphere. Then Satan comes in and, 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 he, and he says, did God actually say, he causes them to begin to question God's word, doesn't he? And then when they begin to question God's word, he simply says, you will not surely die. He denies God's word. And then what happened, he said, for God knows that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what happened is they took the bait, right? They took the bait, the lie of Satan, and sin entered into the world. And ever since then, 
Everything has been messed up. And that's the reason why Christ came into the world to fix things. And notice the last phrase of verse 25. It says, but let each one of you speak the what? The truth with his neighbor. Now, some people will say, now Jeff, is lying really that bad? Well, the reason why Scripture tells us not to lie is because God's nature is truth. Here's a verse that may help shed some light on this. John chapter 8, verse 44 speaks of Satan. And Jesus is speaking to this crowd. He's actually speaking to the church crowd. Y'all okay? Right? He's speaking to the church crowd who doesn't want to listen to what he's saying. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. Imagine starting a sermon out like that. Good morning. And then saying that. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing, watch this, to do with the truth. Because there is no truth in him. Here it is. When he lies, speaking of Satan, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It means that in God's framework, lying has to do with what is opposite of God, and lies have their root in Satan. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to get the people to understand, and even us today, is man, you guys have been saved out of darkness, right church? You've been saved out of pride. You've been saved out of bitterness. You've been saved out of living in a false reality. And because of that, don't have anything to do uh, with what is not the truth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 says, rather speaking the truth in love. So not only does Christ change our thinking pattern, but secondly there in your, your outline in verse 25, 29, 31, Christ changes and the gospel changes the content of what we speak. Notice what it says over in verse 29. It says, let no corrupt talk or corrupt communication come out of your mouths. To speak the truth in question. Some of us, when we relate to our friends and our family, what is it that comes out of our mouth? Is what we say true? If it's not followers of Christ, the Bible, God's Word is saying, put it off. Like an old jacket, an old garment, take it and put it off and put it away. And third, there in verse 26 and 27, notice the gospel changes how we manage our emotions. This is an amazing verse. Verse 26. Be angry. Uh Uh-oh. Be angry. Y'all with me? Alright? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no place or no opportunity to the devil. Some of y'all, you're like, man, I was, Jeff, I was raised in an angry household. We're not going to ask for a, for a show of hands. But seriously, some of us, we've just been raised and we're like, dude, when I, when I was growing up, we watched The Incredible Hulk and that reminded me of my mom. You know what I mean? It was just like, it, we, there was anger in the house and there was, people were always mad. Some of you, in fact, have or still work for a boss with anger issues. We okay in the house today? You go to work and you're like, Lord, if you can just help me get through this day without going postal on my boss. It seems like there's, like when I walk in, there's this this, this, this disease, you know, of anger and everybody's just angry. You ever talk to somebody who's angry? You see, you're like, wow, that is a huge vein on your forehead, sir. Don't ever say that. It kind of makes it worse. And some people say, man, Jeff, when the Bible says right here, don't sin in your anger, how do I deal with people who are angry? This would be a great verse to memorize. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. It says, A soft answer 
A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word, literally a word of pain, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You ever been there to where somebody who's angry, they just come at you, right? You're like, and you're thinking, what did I do? I didn't do anything. I'm just here. And they come at you in anger. The Bible says that a soft answer turn away their wrath. You're like, Jeff, you don't know my wife. Well, you know, and the only way that this will be able to happen, this is the catch, right? The only way that we can ever respond in a way that is honoring to God is if we've been saved, right? Book of 1 John says, he who loves has been born of God. And this is the only way that we'll truly be able to love people, not in some sissy, weird, emotionally drippy, false, everybody saying one thing, but actually thinking another thing, but real, true, genuine compassion and love is if we know God. And if we know God, He'll give us the ability, if we submit to Him, to give a soft answer and it will turn away wrath. Psalm chapter 37 verse 8 says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, for it only tends to evil. Now we can get some witnesses today about that. You ever been there? Right? You get that initial feeling of anger, and you let that thing boil and boil and boil, and by the time the day is over, you are literally able to set off fire alarms when you walk in the door. I mean, you are that mad. You're you know, sometimes you can see it on the road. See people drive mad. <laughs> right? Swerving in and out of traffic. Right? Got the little Jesus fish on the back. Come see me at church. It's like, that's a great witness. By the way, that's something that I still continue to struggle with in my life. That's the reason why I don't have those stickers on my car. Um, just being honest. Somebody says, now hold on, Jeff. That first phrase there, it says, be angry. Isn't that kind of like a command? Well, guess what this is in the Great New Testament? It's an imperative. And some of the hot heads are like, yes! I just got justification in church. The Bible says, be angry. So man, when I go home, somebody's going to get it. All right, man, I'm going to, yes, I've got people on my list, right? Like using the back of the bulletin now to like outline people that you can be angry at. Now, hold on. That is what it says. Be angry and what? Don't sin. Here's what the Bible saying. That the things, the things that kind of well up our anger, that draw it out, should be the things that God is angry about. Getting angry about selfish things to where we are not number one is not what it's speaking about at all. There's a, uh, there's a Megadeth song, and I don't know if that's ever been referenced from this pulpit before, but it's called Angry Again. It's, the refrain goes, angry again, angry again, ow! And it's just like this angry song. And, you know, sometimes we, we, we see people who are angry, um, like if you've ever been to like a kid's football game, basketball game, t-ball right and you have these parents and their kids are like real small and the parents are going crazy in the stands and the kids don't even care you've got little bobby out in the outfield and he's just picking flowers and his dad wants him to be you know the next phenom in the major leagues and it's just amazing sometimes to watch the things that get us angry i had a friend growing up man and his dad hated the dallas cowboys and i know that this is redskins country Still praying for y'all about that. 
But I mean, he, he, he hate, I mean, and he would watch the games. He'll be like red in the face and be gritting his teeth and balling up his fist and just, Ugh, I don't want to hurt. This is back in the 90s. Somebody injure Emmett Smith and you're like, bro, you need to go like get help with anger.com or something. I mean, it, it was like that kind of anger. And it's kind of funny sometimes when you do see angry people, but then again, let's just be honest. It's in the context of a house, especially if it's your dad. If it's an angry man, there's nothing funny about that. Most people across the U.S. have been raised, at least many people, with an angry parent in the home. Who when they get angry, they begin to spill forth words that literally slice and dice their kids down to nothing. For the rest of their lives, they have been living with someone who was angry and did sin in their anger. If you're here today and that has happened to you, I just want to promise you in these verses that are going to come, Christ can set you free from the bitterness that comes after that. Because what happens often is when people are angry unjustly with us, we get angry at them, right? Oh no, you didn't! And then what happens, this root of bitterness begins to come and then you may hate what your dad was or what your mom was like, but if we don't learn to forgive from the heart as Christ gives us ability to, in the end, check this out, watch out, we will not be exactly the same as them, but we're going to have the same root problem as they did. It might not give itself to explosive anger, but it's going to be something else. You're like, Jeff, well, man, that means that if I don't get mad at people, then they're going to get away with it. I'll give you a couple of verses. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. God says, vengeance is mine. Psalm 94, 1. O God of vengeance, shine forth. That's our politically incorrect verse for the day. Isaiah chapter 34, verse 8. For the Lord has a day of vengeance. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 says that Christ will come in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance upon those who do not know God and upon those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to be very clear, God will one day take vengeance. He will. Because God is the judge. But here's where we kind of get messed up sometimes. We're like, well, they did something wrong. Well, they did. But here's what unforgiveness is like. It's like us going up to the throne of God and saying, God, you've got that sword of justice. Give me, give me that sword. And we're dragging this huge sword of justice thinking that we are judge, jury, and executioner of the people in our lives who have hurt us. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 20, for the wrath of man, that means our explosive, ticked off anger, for the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Say, well, Jeff, are we supposed to get upset about stuff? I love kids. I think kids are awesome. Right? You can go up to a kid and you just start talking about anything. Say, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite dinosaur? And they, they just tell you. Adults, it's like this, you know, prim and proper, especially in church sometimes, right? Everybody's like, you know, all holy in the now and yes, brother, amen, praise God. You know, and then you see him out on the town later in the week. Since we talked about that before. But like, it's so easy sometimes to, to look at the surface, but when you, when you examine the heart of a child, the heart of a child is, although born with a sin nature, Somewhat less innocent than us. And that's why I hate kidnapping. Think about it. Because we love children, therefore we hate child abuse. 
Because we love babies, therefore we don't agree with abortion. And if we know some girl who's pregnant out of wedlock, don't ever come with your big black Bible and begin to bang her over the head and simply leave. You come to her in humility and brokenness and say, me and some people from my church will help you with this burden. Amen? I mean, seriously, we've got to get real. We can't come to the, you know, this thing called Christian prom on Sundays and act all holier than thou with our, with our nice clothes. And then when somebody is not, they're blind, they don't even know God. And they live according to that way. And we come, it'd be like if a blind man came in here and he tripped over something, we say, watch where you're going, blind man. Wouldn't that be totally unreasonable? In the same way, Christ has given us mercy. Not that we excuse sin, not that we say, oh, it's okay. But we express the love of Christ in that person's sin and hoping that God will lead them to repentance and forsake that sin. That's the difference. I have a friend who's from Arkansas. And he told me that he went to watch John Rambo. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. It's the Rambo 4 that came out in the theaters a couple years ago. And he's in this this small theater watching this movie about Rambo and actually much of what took place in the movie with the Burmese military uh, trying to kill whole people groups, that's actually true. And in fact, uh, the church that I came from in South Carolina, they host what's called a Chin Baptist Church. It's a minority people group who are Christians in Burma who the pastor actually was had to hide underground for days and he escaped through Thailand and there are many of them here on refugee status. So, you remember in the movie that Burmese military, they're raping and killing and even children. It shows that in, in the movie. It's a, it's a terrible sight. Then all of a sudden, they're, they're about to execute these mercenaries that were sent in to rescue the missionaries. And then, then Rambo gets behind this 50 caliber machine gun. And man, he racks that bolt twice. And he begins to just, boom, 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 boom. I mean, just start laying down a murderous fire. I mean, there are people, you know, legs are flying off and people are getting mown down. And all of a sudden he said, there's this guy and big old redneck corn fed dude in overalls who stands up after seeing innocent people killed for like 50 minutes. And he stands up and he goes, Oh yeah, get some, get some. And he begins to scream. And he so like all these rednecks there in this theater were like, yeah, they're like cheering on Rambo, seeing the bad guys get what they deserve. There is an element of truth in that. But what we as Christians have to understand that in our anger, we're angry against sin, but we are not God. Finally, our work ethic. Verse 28, notice what it says. The gospel changes even our work ethic. Let the thieves no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the Bible is telling us right here that the purpose of a job, one of the greatest things that God can do with your job is so that you can have something that you can share with another person. And that's exactly what Christ did. That's what He does. Jesus always was about giving to other people. Remember when you were a kid and, and Christmas came around and you had that thing that you wanted so bad? Remember that? And it's like once you get it and you unwrap it from that package, you're like, man, I can't wait to go play with this toy. Or Then you go out and then a few days later, like, the toy is pretty awesome, but I saw an advertisement that they've got a newer, bigger, faster one. 
What God is letting us know right here is that we have been saved from greed. We've been saved from selfishness. We've been saved from a life that says, I want to get, 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 get for myself. And that's simply it. So not only does the gospel um, change us, our work ethic, so that we, and the word here for stealing is klepto, right? Klepto what? Kleptomaniac, a person who is addicted to stealing. The Bible says cut that off. Why? Because God gave to us, therefore, we shouldn't be all about giving. Amen? It should be about giving to people. And that's where the joy comes. And so it, it says also there in, uh, in verse 29, says, let no corrupt communication come out of your, your mouth. Bible speaks of that the gospel even changes the direction of our speech. Notice the phrasing here. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. It's almost like the, the comparison here, talking about the body of Christ, as if words for food is what comes out of our mouths spoiled, or is it healthy? Now, as a bachelor, I've been... I have a reputation among my friends for accidentally leaving things in the back of the refrigerator, um, and they end up being a science project. Have you ever had that happen? Right? You've got the, you know, the actually pound cakes, things of that nature. What is it? Fruit cake, right? Friends don't forgive friends fruit cakes. Isn't that the deal around Christmas season? The things that never grow old. But sometimes you got that piece of food that you just forgot about or that dish, and then you know, a few months later you. You, you're cleaning out your fridge or me, you know, it's like every four years and, you know, you're like, man, what is that? And it's got like green stuff on it and it, it's growing different heads and it looks like, you know, SpongeBob. And you're like, man, I, this is nasty. I would never eat this. This is gross. This is spoiled. And you take it, you put it in the trash can. And you're like, oh man. And you tie it off and you take it out. And your dog's like, can I have some of that? You know, and it's just nasty. It's gross. Is question. Those of us who claim to be followers of Christ, is what we say rotten? If someone actually believed what we're saying, if we're cutting people down, would that produce health inside them? Or would it produce sadness and grief? And then you think about good food. I love country cooking. Many of y'all have invited me over. It's awesome. Especially when, you know... You come out of college and, you, and you, you know what every flavor of Raymond noodles is and you try to combine them. And then when you go home or you go to your friend's house who has a mama who knows how to cook. I'm not talking about throw something in the microwave. I'm talking about like, like you want to, I will come through you to get that kind of food, like that kind of good. And you just sit down and you've got mashed potatoes and green beans and meat. You're just like, man, and you eat and you're just like, I just want to sit back and veg and maximum relax. Let my digestive juices do the work. This is awesome food. Stuff that gives you energy and gives you strength. Is that the kind of words that we're communicating to people? If we've been saved by Jesus Christ, we no longer have to be. And guys, this is the little man code. Some, some of us guys were so insecure that we can't ever actually affirm somebody else because we're going to think, well, if I affirm this dude and give him not any type of like weird, you know, emotionalism, but actually encourage this person in the Lord, then that means that they're going to be better than me. And, and so I got to worry about myself. So I got to cut that person down so that I feel better. Well, that's what God has delivered us from. Because Christ is for us. He gives us the ability to speak life to other people, to give encouragement. And also the, the gospel changes our heroes. Notice there in verse 30. 
and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word grieve here means a state of mental pain and anxiety. You think back to somebody in your life who you really looked up to. I know for some people, they get very, very uh, obsessed with people in the media. Like I was at, at a church one time, and I, it was just one of these awkward conversations. There was a group of ladies in their 50s or 60s, and they started talking about Elvis concerts back in the day. That, that security guard, when that's not me, I was going to go get up there, I was going to see that man, Elvis, woo! and they just begin to talk, and I was like, I'm just going to go find some memory erase software and, and, and you know... Get over this. And some people, like, they're, they're obsessed, right? They're obsessed with people in, in the media or, you know, the groups. And, and, and The question, do we consider Christ as our hero? It says, do not grieve this Holy Spirit of God. When we realize that all that Jesus went through for us, we would want to serve Him, Right? We want to follow Him. We want to make Him proud. We want to make Him known. We want to honor Jesus with everything. It says in Matthew chapter 26, 37, and He began to be sorrowful in trouble. The word troubled, the word sorrowful here is the same word. It's the same picture. Here's Jesus in the garden, knowing that He's about to be killed. He's about to suffer God's wrath. He's about to be beaten. He's about to be crucified and whipped. And He began to have anxiety to the a, a, a mental pain he began to be had that burden of sin weighted on him and jesus did that for us church he suffered and he died and he bled and the text says in the end of verse 30 that you were sealed for the day of redemption that means that when you get saved that the holy spirit when he comes inside of us he gives us a new heart and sometimes we come to the text of the Bible and we say, you know what? I just need to do better. I just need to stop doing the bad stuff and I need to start doing the good stuff. Well, that's not the way the Bible works. It doesn't tell us to modify our behavior, does it? It tells us that we need a new heart. And then in verse 31, the gospel changes our heart issues. Notice what the passage says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That means that if you've been raised in a context to where you have nothing but words of abuse and pain inside the home, God can change you to where your home does not have to be the same way. And you can give life with your words. Y'all hear the preacher's story about the lady who was convicted? She, she realized she was wrong about gossiping all the time and she came to talk to the preacher. She said, Preacher, I've... I've just, uh, I need to give my tongue to God. I need to lay my tongue upon the altar. And he said, that won't work. Our altar's only 20 feet long. You know, it's just, it's not big enough to hold that. Question. Followers of Christ are heart issues. It's not so much what we say, but what is causing us to say that. It's the heart. And Christ can change the heart. And finally there in verse 32, the gospel even changes our relationships. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You say, man, Jeff, I can't do any of that. I've tried before. I've tried turning over new leaves. You ever thought about it? If you turn a leaf over more than once, you're where? Back where you started. I've been there. You so, feel so guilty. There's this sense of guilt that's on your life for all the things that you've done and said and problems that you've caused and things that you've never even let anybody else know. But God knows. 
And we hear messages like this and we begin to think, well, man, I just got to stop doing the bad and I got to start doing good. That's not what God requires. What God requires is that we give everything that we are to Him and He makes us new people. Isn't that an awesome thing? That Christianity is not a, a list of rules and a ladder to climb, but it's God coming down and changing our heart. And there's a smashing pumpkin song uh, called Bullet with Butterfly Wings, and it says, Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. Then someone will say, what is lost can never be saved. Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cave. And watch this last line. And I still believe that I cannot be saved. Smashing Pumpkins got it wrong. We can be saved. So the Holy Spirit comes into our heart and He begins to speak to us and says, if you will simply submit to Me, I will change your life. I will replace bitterness with love. I will replace words that are cutting, words of abuse with words of affirmation. I can make your home instead of being a hellhole to where everyone is at each other's throats like a pack of rabbit wolves to a place to where people can truly feel the love of God. To where sons can be affirmed by their fathers and to where daughters can experience love so they don't have to go out and try to get that from relationships to guys who are only going to use them in the first place. And God tells us throughout Scripture that the Gospel can change our sense of guilt. Remember those old VHS tapes? Those old memories? Those things that we've done that we wish that we could forget? Sometimes we go back and we replay those. The Gospel of Christ can forgive us and give us a clean conscience. We don't have to steal. don't have to lie. But simply give who we are to Jesus Christ. You're here today, Christian, and you say, well, Jeff, I've, I've been saved. Man, I remember there was a time in my life that I truly got saved and my life changed for Christ. But in these last weeks or months or even last couple of days, say, Jeff, I have, I have absolutely fallen off the map. I have... The gospel has changed my life, but I've not been obeying the gospel. Everything that the Bible told us this morning to put off, I have put on. And I know that that is wrong. If that's you, my friend, this morning, just right now say, God, I have been wrong. Would you please forgive me? I confess that. I don't bring excuses. Lord, would you bring me to the place of repentance and brokenness again and restore what I have thrown away? There's some of you today and you have grown up with all sorts of, of, of abuse. You've got insecurities. You've got bitterness. You've got rage inside of your heart towards those people who the vengeance of God will come upon if they don't repent. But God has shown you that you need to forgive and turn them loose. Right now in the quietness of this moment, you just say, Jeff, man, I, I don't want to carry around this burden anymore. I don't want to be stung to death by one bee, the bee of bitterness. I want to just forgive them and move on in my life. God, would you give me the power to forgive? Right now, just say, God, would you help me to release them? God, I forgive them. If you're here today and you say, man, Jeff, I, th- this whole thing is new to me. That many people... begin. Uh, coming these last few months are kind of new to the whole church scene. Well, what God does not want from you is a religious commitment, but what He wants from you is a 
commitment from your heart to say, God, I need you. Jesus, would you save me? Jesus, would you save me? If you're here today and you do not know where you would go, if you died right now, just in this moment, just say, God, would you save me? The Bible tells us that he who comes to God will not be cast out. You can never go too far to where God can't find you. And we're here today hearing His Word. you need to be baptized, if you need to make a public commitment, I'm going to be down here at the front when we begin to sing. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and walk down the aisle. And by doing that, you're letting people know that you're not ashamed of Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Jeff, I need to be saved, we're asking you to get up and come during this invitation time. If you want to join this church, we're asking you to come. If you need to be baptized and follow Christ, or if you just simply want to come pray down here by the front for yourself or someone else, I encourage you to do that. God, would you give us courage in this invitation time? In Jesus' name, amen.